You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, people of Birdland, and welcome to Locked On Orioles, your place for Orioles news and analysis from the clubhouse to the warehouse and beyond. As always, I'm your host, Justin McGuire. Just to remind you, I'm the former Major League Baseball editor for Sporting News. I'm a former Cy Young and Rookie of the Year voter. I have another podcast. It's called Baseball by the Book, and I would really appreciate it if you would check that out as well. But most importantly for our purposes, I'm a lifelong Orioles fan who's been following the team since the 1970s. So I'm along on the ride just like you guys. Today, Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs returns to the podcast. He's going to talk to us about Chris Davis and Davis's futility early this season. As you guys know, Davis recently set a major league record for most consecutive at-bats without a hit. That'll be in the second segment today. And just a reminder, you can get Locked on Orioles on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play the podcast Locked on Orioles. Well, folks, the big news out of the Orioles, of course, has been Davis, and we'll get to that shortly. But let's talk about a few other things that are going on in Birdland. The Orioles lost to the A's yesterday, and they fall to 5-6 and six on the season. And I think it's safe to say that one of the big weaknesses so far has been the bullpen. Our friend Matt Kremnitzer of The Athletic Baltimore, who's been a guest several times and will be returning again next week, tweeted out something today that I thought was really interesting. Well, maybe interesting isn't the word, but kind of horrifying is probably more accurate. He pointed out that the Orioles' bullpen has a collective ERA over 8, while Mike Wright, Miguel Castro, and Richard Blyer each have an ERA over 11. Needless to say, those numbers are horrific, and something's going to have to give at some point if these guys continue to perform like that, particularly Wright, who has had multiple opportunities with the Orioles. I think it's safe to say at this point that Wright's days with the O's are probably limited unless he really turns things around quickly. Castro, I believe, has one option left and could be sent down to the minors at some point. Blyer had some excellent numbers last year, and I suspect that Brandon Hyde will probably be more patient with him than with the others. So it will be interesting to see. Of course, one of the problems is that the Orioles don't have a whole lot of options because if they did, after all, Mike Wright and Miguel Castro wouldn't be with the team in the first place. In the meantime, of course, the bullpen is probably going to continue to be a weakness for a team that has plenty of other weaknesses as well. Speaking of weaknesses, the starting rotation took a hit when Alex Cobb was placed on the 10-day DL yesterday. It's Cobb's second stint on the DL, and that's concerning, of course, because Cobb figures to probably be the best starter on this team. He was, after all, named to be the starter for opening day and missed that because of the injury. Hopefully Cobb's lumbar strain won't keep him out too long because, frankly, the Orioles are going to need him if they're going to avoid 115 losses again this year. Nate Carnes is also on the DL. Nate Carnes was also placed on the DL with a forearm strain. And while he's not as important to the Orioles as Cobb, any live arm is important at this point for a team that really lacks quality pitching, so that's kind of a blow as well. But I suspect we'll see some bullpenning and perhaps some other creative solutions as the Orioles try to get through the next 10 days or so without two of their veteran pitchers. In other news, there were some developments in the ongoing dispute between the Orioles and the Nationals over Masson. We're going to talk about that in tomorrow's episode. Eric Gardner of The Hollywood Reporter, who's been reporting on this story, will join us to give us the latest.
Okay, folks, we will be joined by Jay Jaffe in just a second to talk about Chris Davis. But first, I wanted to remind everybody that you should definitely check out Locked On MLB as a great way to keep up with MLB in 15 minutes or less every day. Locked On MLB is available at all the same places that Locked On Orioles is that I just mentioned. Also, be sure to check out Locked On MLB on Twitter, as well as Locked On Orioles on Twitter. Okay, let's get on with our interview with Jay Jaffe. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Locked On Orioles. We're joined by Jay Jaffe, who's a writer for Fangraphs and a guy who's been on the podcast before. Um, Jay, you wrote about Chris Davis this week, and you took kind of a deep dive into his, his numbers over the last couple of years. We all know that he is struggling mightily this year. He um, recently set the record for most consecutive at-bats without a hit in Major League history, which is, uh, you know, really remarkable when you think about how long Major League history has been going on. It, it's it's such a, a fall from a guy who just a few years ago was a pretty legitimate power threat. I've said this on Twitter and I've said it on the podcast. My feeling about Chris Davis is that he is... He is beyond, you know, thinking, oh, well, maybe he can bounce back. Maybe he could, you know, he needs to get started. Maybe he just needs to do a few things here and there. My feeling is that he is done as a major league player. It's not that he's a bad major league player. I don't think he's capable of playing at this level anymore. You've looked at his numbers um, very closely. Do you think that's fair? You know, I don't know that that's that's entirely fair yet. I I think that that. uh... Um, obviously that there are, you know, look, nobody, you know, going, going over 49 or whatever is obviously not major league caliber, um, you know, and pretty close, you know, pretty close to, you know, complete unlikelihood. I, one of my colleagues estimated it was like something like a three in a million chance of a, a true talent 237 hitter, which is, I believe referring to his lifetime batting average, uh, of, uh, uh, of going, uh, over 49 over, over that span. Um, you know, I think that there's there are there's reason to believe that there's more going on there than just mechanics. That there's a psychological aspect, there may be a medical aspect to it, or a physical aspect to it. Uh, you know, there, there's a whole lot going on. I mean, there's no place to hide when you're when you've got an offer. There's you know, so I I I don't think we can really you know paint too much on the numbers. But he is, uh, you know, and he's he's swinging and missing an alarming amount, striking out an alarming amount. Uh, I don't know that you can definitively say that he is uh, uh, has no capability of being a major leaguer, but I think you're probably at the point where um, you know the just it defies our normal exp, uh, explanations, and and this is into uh, it could be, we could be into like Steve Blass uh, or Steve Sachs type territory with this being you know something that uh, uh, there's a block about. You know we know again we know what he's done this year, and, and like as you said, it's in some ways it's kind of a fluke. I mean, right? He he had a couple of well <laughs> well hit balls the night that he uh, broke the record. He had a couple of well hit balls that easily could have been hits if they had just been you know slightly to the left or slightly to the right. Um, you know he hit them fairly well. You know he's 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 had a little bit of bad luck, uh, but the reality is even if you know he had a hit or two along the way somewhere, he's still not going to be very effective. And looking back at last year and the year before that, like realistically, what would you expect from him? Say that this, you know we're not dealing with this kind of record or something, but realistically, what are, are the expectations Orioles fans could have had for this year? You know, I think you probably go back to where, where he was uh, uh, in 2016 and 2017, which is a guy whose power 
really is only is his only standout asset. Although you know maybe maybe his defense as well. Uh, a guy who's not making a ton of contact, striking out well over thirty percent of the time, uh, producing somewhere around the league average. Not really an asset at this point, particularly when you're considering uh, the salary he's making. But I don't think there's you know there's nothing in his 2016 and 17 numbers that even could have really suggested 2018 was possible. Uh, you know we're talking about a guy who set. Uh, a record for the lowest batting average over the course of 500 uh, uh, plate appearances ever. Um, you know, and, and I think some some of that, you know, the, the Orioles' uh, unique circumstance of being, uh, uh, you know, the third worst team of the post-1960 expansion era in terms of uh, uh, their 115 losses. Uh, you know, most other teams, I think, would have would have maybe uh, played him less uh, uh, than the Orioles did last year. There was, uh, uh, you know, the, the the team as a whole seemed to have a sort of a thousand yard stare going from about, uh, uh, you know, ab- about uh, mid-April onward. And, uh, um, you know, I think that that probably contributed to uh, the the extreme exposure that, that Davis had that other teams would not necessarily have granted. Yeah, so it, we're in a similar situation this year in that the Orioles are not expected to be very good. Um, I don't know that they're going to lose 115 games again, but, you know, they could easily lose 105 or something like that. That wouldn't surprise anybody. Um, they don't have Manny Machado this year. They don't have Adam Jones. They don't have Kevin Gosman. They've gotten rid of, you know, the, the pieces that they had last year that were kind of major league caliber pieces. So they've got a lot of younger players now. Davis is by far, the I think, the, you know, the most veteran guy on the team at this point. Um, that's the one thing that concerns me about all this is his effect on the younger players. Like, it can't be good for them to be around this and the publicity that's getting, right? I mean, it's it's just, he is he is drawing all the attention. It's I, I saw something the other day, one of the beat reporters said, like, the first four or five questions for Brandon Hyde after one of the games were about Chris Davis. You know, and there's other guys, you know, Trey Mancini's having a good year. Um, some other players are, are doing fairly well. But all the attention is on this one kind of black hole. That, that can't be good for the team. Well, I, you know... I, I don't I, I I've never set a foot in the Orioles locker room. Uh, I've never you know spoken spoken to Hyde. I'm a little hesitant to put that blanket a statement on it. I think you know baseball is a game of of uh, constant failure. Uh, there's nothing about what Davis has done that I've read uh, that suggests he's going about this in anything less than a you know professional manner. He's facing the music. You know I mean he's choosing to play. He's not asking out of the lineup. I think that there is actually. Um, you know, my read of this is that the Orioles believe that there is some value, uh, you know, in 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 his presence there. Um, look, if 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 people are asking about Chris Davis, who's financially set for life, they're not focusing on the shortstop who's hitting 180, or or you know, or the or the uh, uh, the pitcher who's you know carrying a six plus ERA. I mean, in some ways, he's kind of uh, uh, giving the rest of the team cover. Um, you know, which 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 may have some value. I don't I don't know. I I can't. Uh, I I'm really reluctant to put myself in you know in the into that situation uh, with you know with with making those assumptions that uh, that there's no reason to have him around. Well, that does bring up the next question, and we've talked about the the contract, and obviously that's the big the the 800 pound gorilla so to speak about Chris Davis it's not just that he's struggling i mean if he was in the last year of his contract or or had you know maybe another year after this or he was on a more you know reasonable contract in terms of money you know less money that he was getting i think that this wouldn't be as big an issue 
I think the question then becomes, what do the Orioles do with Chris Davis ultimately? Um, you know, the way I look at it, there's three possible options. One is you just keep doing what you're doing. You play him every day or, or you know, almost every day, certainly against right-handers. And just, just hope that he, he starts producing a little bit more than he's been producing. The other is to just, you know, you know bench him, essentially don't give him a whole lot of at-bats for the rest of the year, kind of hide him, um, you know, waste the roster spot on him, but just kind of don't don't put him out in that situation where he's going to fail continually. And the third is just simply release him, which I, I think you talked about that in your column, which is this would be one of the biggest or perhaps the biggest you know, sunk cost situation in Major League history in terms of a team letting go of a guy under contract like that. Of those three options, what do you think makes the most sense? Uh, I, I, I don't I don't have an easy answer. I mean, if you're if you're releasing him now, you're still owe something close to, you know, in the ballpark of 90 million. He was owed 92 million at the start of this season. Uh, the record, I think, uh, right now is 68 million, which is what the uh, uh, Angels absorbed when they uh, traded Josh Hamilton back to back to the Rangers a few years ago. Um, the record for a team releasing a guy, I believe, is something like 48 million when when the Red Sox cut bait with Pablo Sandoval uh, in 2017. Um, you know, there are probably things that they the Orioles could do that are intermediate. They could negotiate some kind of buyout. Uh, you know, that uh, wouldn't necessarily have to be disclosed. We've seen uh, we've seen that happen in rare instances. I know Andrew Jones and the Dodgers is one of them. Um, uh, David Wright and the Mets, I believe, is is one of them. Um, you know, I, I think before they do that, though, I, I feel like the, it seems like the Orioles are going to exhaust the other possibilities. And I, I, I again, I think that there's probably some some aspect of this that could be physical, uh, or, you know, or, or mental, like whether it's his eyesight, um, his ADHD medication for which he has a therapeutic use exemption. Um, uh, those, two, those two things spring to mind, um, you know, and, and, and maybe there's, you know, and maybe there's something, you know, psych- psychological, a, a quote unquote, the yips, um, you know, I know that, uh, when, uh, my former sports illustrated colleague, Stephanie Epstein, uh, wrote about Davis last fall. Um, you know, she she quoted a scout talking about how uh, Davis was trying to scoop the ball uh, like a highlight player over the uh, uh, over the shift, which you know because he pulls the ball so regularly, he's, he bases the shift quite regularly, uh, and that you know the, those kinds of uh, um, you know things could be contributing to, to to you know bad mechanical form and probably something. Uh, you know, something psychological as well. So I think that, I think that they've got to, they, you know, the Orioles have to, uh, um, you know, have to exhaust other, out, other outlets before they uh, go on and, and sink this cost entirely, because you know that the Angelos family does not want the public embarrassment, the public embarrassment of, of, uh, uh, of, of setting that kind of record. They're always seem to be so concerned with the optics of, uh, of, of what they're doing, sometimes even ahead of, you know, uh, common sense. Um, you know, the easiest thing to do would be to cut him. Uh, but but that does not seem like it's going to be the, the quickest thing that they do. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for another episode of Locked On Orioles. As I mentioned, we'll be joined tomorrow by Eric Gardner of The Hollywood Reporter to talk about the latest developments in the Masson dispute. And remember, you can get Locked On Orioles on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, I'd sure appreciate it if you'd leave a five-star rating and a review for Locked On Orioles. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your fellow Orioles fans to check out Locked On Orioles as well. See you tomorrow.